Amen. He is risen. risen You may be seated. It's already been a fun day, but it's going to be even more fun as we get to celebrate baptisms and an egg hunt and a potluck. Um, Speaking of eggs, my eight-year-old daughter uh, has this new thing where she tells jokes about words. She'll take a word and then make a joke about it, and then she'll say, get it, play on words. Uh, So, yeah. Uh, So the other day, we're driving down 101, and uh, it's just me and her, and she says to me, hey, Daddy, the next exit is our exit, so make sure you don't miss it. I'm like, great, she's eight, I already have a backseat driver. And uh, then she says, you know, at every exit, they should have a truck that sells eggs. And I said... Why is that? And she said, because it's an eggs-it. Get it, Daddy? It's an eggs-it. Too much fun. Oh, we're going to be in Luke chapter 24 this morning. If you'd like to follow along, there's some Bibles under the chairs in front of you. We're going to explore this story in Luke. Luke is one of the four Gospels. There's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and they tell the story of uh, Jesus' life his death, and his resurrection. In Luke 24, Luke tells us about the resurrection of Jesus. Before we get to this story, let me tell you another little story. Uh, You're all wondering, I I thought I came to an Easter service, uh, not a funeral. Why is there a casket on the stage? So if you were here on Good Friday, you know why there's a casket here. If you weren't, let me share with you a little bit. So This season we've been in, leading up to Easter, it's six weeks long, it's called Lent, and it starts with a day called Ash Wednesday, and on Ash Wednesday I gave everyone a nail, and I invited them to carry that nail around with them for the six weeks of Lent, and then to bring it back on Good Friday, and so folks came on Good Friday, they brought their nail, if they didn't have one, we gave them one, and we talked about the death of Jesus, and how Jesus says on the cross, it is finished. But for Jesus' first followers at that cross, they're thinking, oh, he means it's finished, like it's done, he's dead. But Jesus meant it in a different way. And we have this saying in our culture, well, isn't that just the nail in the casket? And we decided to change the meaning of that saying and asked everyone, what does your nail represent? What pain, what sorrow, what heartache, what sin are you carrying around with you that you need to come up and just drop your nail in the casket. And so folks did that, and we celebrated that the nail is in the casket, and it is finished. But for Jesus' first followers, they still feel like it's finished. It's done. Jesus is dead. And we get to see a couple of those first followers in Luke 24, verse 13. It says, now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. Now, we're going to learn in a little bit that one of these two, his name is Cleopas. And most scholars believe that this is the same man who, in a different gospel, has a wife named Mary. And so, the best we can infer uh, of what is going on here is that this is Cleopas and his wife Mary, who are on this journey from Jerusalem to Emmaus. Why are they going from Jerusalem to Emmaus? Well, it's because they live in Emmaus, and they were in Jerusalem because that's where the action was. That's where Jesus was, and that's where they thought Jesus was going to set up 
a kingdom. But now he's dead, so they're going home. And they're journeying back home. I want to invite you to imagine yourself on this road with this couple, journeying along. And as they're walking along, verse 14, they were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. So, Jesus comes up along with them, but they don't recognize him. They don't realize it's Jesus. Why not? Was he hiding himself from them? Might be part of it. Or part of it also might be that their expectations of who he was and what he would do were so let down that they couldn't imagine that this was him, that he was actually alive. Whatever the case, Jesus comes and walks alongside them on the road to Emmaus. And Jesus asks them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? So this is Jesus kind of playing with them. He knows what they're discussing. He just says, hey, what what are you guys talking about? They stood still, their faces downcast. Literally, their faces saddened, their faces depressed. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And so Cleopas is like, seriously? How can you be coming from Jerusalem and not know What is going on right now? How is it possible that you have been in Jerusalem and not have heard what has happened in these last few days? It'd be kind of like a couple of Apple geeks who are talking about, uh, pretend like today is a new iPhone release. And these two Apple geeks are talking about the new iPhone release and how it's all sold out. And they they couldn't get one. And then one of their buddies comes up and says, what are you guys talking about? And they say, seriously? Seriously, you have no idea? Are you the only one that doesn't realize that a new iPhone was released today? He goes, oh. And then he walks away, and he pulls out his brand new iPhone, because he got one. (laughs) Jesus has a brand new iPhone, and they don't know it. And so, Jesus says, what things? About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, but they crucified him. But we had hoped he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. You see, these two, they're walking along the road, and Jesus comes up, and he says, what are you talking about? And they say, Jesus, we we had hoped He was the one who had redeemed Israel, but they crucified him. We had hoped he was the one who was the Messiah, but he's dead. You know the feeling. Hopes dashed. We had hoped the tests would come back in her favor, but they didn't. We had hoped... It wasn't cancer, but it is. We had hoped she would make it through the surgery, but she didn't. We had hoped. We had hoped. 
this couple, as they're walking on the road, their hearts are sunken, their faces downcast, because all of their hopes, all of their dreams about Jesus of Nazareth have been dashed. We had hoped he was the Messiah. We had hoped he was the one that would liberate us from Rome. We had hoped he was the one who would set up his kingdom. But he's dead. See, crucifixion was the dasher of all hopes because crucifixion is what happens to people who think they're the Messiah but find out too late that they're not. They felt that Jesus was the Messiah, but now he's dead. We had hoped. We had hoped. Jesus, in verse 25, says to them, How foolish you are, and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. So, this couple, we had hoped he was the Messiah, but he's dead. And then Jesus starts to retell the story to them. They thought they saw a casket, but Jesus begins to try to help them see something else. We had hoped. Jesus must first deconstruct their reading of the story in order to reconstruct a new reading that shows them that the Messiah had to suffer. Their hope was that somehow we could go around that and get to the kingdom. But Jesus shows them he had to go through suffering. He had to go through the cross. He had to go through pain in order to get to the point of redemption. They had hoped he was the one to redeem Israel. Jesus retells them the story and shows them that he came not only to redeem... Yeah, that's great. (laughs) He came not only to redeem Israel, but the whole world. Their image of reality must be broken, it must be shattered, it must be torn apart so that he can rebuild a new vision of reality for them. We had hoped. And Jesus says, let me tell you the story with fresh eyes and a new way of seeing. I did not come only to redeem Israel. I came to redeem the whole thing. And I had to go through suffering in order to get there. So, Jesus retells them the story. Verse 28, As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going farther. But they urged him strongly, Stay with us, for it is nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. 
They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. And so they invite this stranger to table fellowship with them. And they allow this stranger to serve them in their own home. And when this stranger breaks the bread and offers it to them, their eyes are opened and they recognize Jesus. So, I have a question. Why was it that while they were on the road and Jesus opened the scriptures to them, gave them a new reading of the scriptures, showed them why he had to suffer, told them the story from Genesis all the way through the prophets, revealed to them who he was through the scriptures. Why didn't they recognize Jesus then? Why only at the table, breaking the bread? Clearly something was happening. Their, Their hearts were burning. That Something was beginning to stew within them, yet they still didn't recognize him. I think part of it is because this new information they had been given, it hadn't fully filtered from here down to here. They were still seeing things the way they thought they were. They were still living with an illusion of reality rather than knowing what was really real. It's kind of like uh, there's a story of this caravan going across the desert, and uh, they got to a place where they were going to camp for the night, and they had 20 camels in the caravan, And the servants come to the master, and they say, Master, we have 20 camels, but we only have 19 pegs with which to tie the camels down. What should we do? And the master said, oh, well, you know, camels, they're they're stupid creatures. Just uh, pretend like you're pounding a peg into the ground, and then pretend like you're tying it to the peg, and it'll stay there all night. And they said, okay, so they pretended like they pounded a peg into the ground. They pretended to tie the camel to the peg, and they went to bed. And the next morning, they got up, and the camel hadn't moved. Okay, so they untie the other 19 camels, and they're trying to get on their way, but this one camel won't move. And they say to the master, that camel won't move. And the master said, oh, that's because it still thinks it's tied to a peg. You have to... Pretend like you're untying the camel, and then it will move. Sure enough, they pretend like they untie the camel, and the camel begins to move. How much like us. We are tied to our thinking of what is real. We are tied to our understanding of what is right and what is wrong. We are tied to our vision of reality, and Jesus comes to untie it. Jesus comes to show us that is not the way you read the story. Let me tell you how to read the story. Jesus comes to show us a different way of viewing reality. We get tied to illusions of the way things are. It's like uh, there's a Russian farmer. And back in the days when they were uh, drawing the boundary line between Russia and Finland... uh, the boundary line fell right where this farmer was living. And so he had to decide, do you want to live in Russia or do you want to live in Finland? He chose Finland. And so the Russian authorities heard about this, and they descend on this man's farm, and they come up to him and they say, why would you decide to live in Finland rather than Mother Russia? 
And, and the farmer said, oh, it's been my dream always and forever to live in Mother Russia. But you know, at this age, I just don't think I could handle another Russian winter. <laughs> He's tied to his vision of reality. It must be warmer in Finland. I've lived in Russia my whole life. We live with these illusions of the way things are. For them, they saw a casket. And now Jesus opens their eyes in the breaking of the bread. For the early first century Jewish reader of this text, when it says, he gave thanks, broke the bread, gave it to them, then their eyes were opened and they recognized him. The first century Jewish reader, lights are going off. Ding, 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 ding. Whoa, whoa, whoa. I've heard this before. I've heard this before. Where else in the scriptures is there a couple that are eating something and their eyes are opened? Way back in the story that Jesus had just told them. There was a story of a couple that were living in a garden where beauty and harmony and shalom and love reigned. And God placed them in this garden. He said, you can have anything you want. You are free. You are free. You are free. Oh, there's one thing you can't have. It's that fruit. Don't eat that fruit. It's like putting a kid in a candy shop and saying, you can eat anything you want, anything you want, but not that chocolate. What does the kid want? That chocolate. And so this couple who God had written into this beautiful story, they they came to the decision that the role God had given them in the story wasn't good enough. And so they decided to write their own role, and they decided to serve themselves and eat the fruit. And when they did so, their eyes were opened, and they saw dread and shame and fear and death. Luke is showing us that what's happening with this couple in Luke 24 is nothing short of reversing Genesis 3. Luke is showing us that what happened to the couple in Genesis 3 is being reversed in and through Jesus. The first couple, they ate the fruit, their eyes were opened. And they felt despair. But this couple in Luke 24, their eyes are opened and they feel renewed hope. We had hoped he was the Messiah, but now he's dead, has turned into renewed hope for a new day because they have seen the risen Christ. The first couple in Genesis 3, their eyes were opened and they felt fear. But this couple sees shalom, universal harmony, being restored in and through Jesus. The first human couple, when their eyes were opened, they saw death. But this couple, when their eyes are opened, they see life. They see the risen Christ who has conquered death. The first human couple, their eyes are opened and they feel shame. But this couple feels joy. The first couple, their eyes are opened and they hide because they're afraid. But this couple, their eyes are opened and they are free and they run seven miles back to Jerusalem to tell everyone else that they have just seen the risen Christ. The first couple, they feel sorrow in their hearts, but this couple 
has delight in theirs. The first couple, they have sad hearts, but this couple, their hearts are burning with joy. The first couple, they chose to serve themselves and eat of the fruit, and they felt like all was lost. But this couple in Luke 24, they allowed Jesus to serve them, and their eyes are opened, and they realized new creation is here. Everything is just beginning. We had hoped he was the Messiah, but the movement is over, has turned into the movement has just begun, and they hightail it seven miles back to Jerusalem, to where the action is, and say, it's just begun. He is risen. We've seen him with our own eyes. He was revealed to us in the breaking of the bread. Jesus Christ is risen. He is alive. They thought they saw a casket. But then, sitting around their table, In the breaking of the bread, they see the risen Christ. They thought they saw death. But sitting right across from them at their table, this stranger breaks bread and gives it to them. And their eyes are opened. And they see it is the risen Christ. Why did they not recognize him on the road even after he had opened the scriptures to them and revealed to them who he was through the scriptures? I think why is because intellectual assent alone is inadequate. We must experience the risen Christ in our midst. And sitting at the table, that intellectual ascent, that new information, that new telling of the story, finally sunk down into their beings in the breaking of the bread, in the experience of table fellowship with the risen Christ, and they saw him. He is risen. He is risen. He is risen, and new creation has come and is all around us. And what do they do? They run back to Jerusalem. Why? Because when our eyes are opened to the risen Christ, we cannot sit idly by. We realize that we get to be a part of new creation, that Jesus invites us to join him in remaking the world, Jesus invites us to carry the beauty and harmony and joy and shalom and love and hope and healing that he brings into our homes, into our workplaces, into our parks and ballparks and and shopping malls, wherever we go, that we get to be a part of this kingdom movement of new creation right here, right now, right in the midst of us. Intellectual ascent alone is inadequate. We must experience the risen Christ in our whole beings. Head and heart were never meant to be separated. They work 
together in beautiful unison. And when the new information sinks into our hearts, we realize it's a new day. And we get to be a part of it. In the church tradition, we have this practice. We call it communion. We call it the Eucharist. We call it the Lord's table. Uh, In our faith community, what we do is we take a piece of bread that has been broken, and we dip it in the cup, and we eat it. And we do it because Jesus told us, as often as you do this, do it in remembrance of me, that my body was broken and my blood was poured out for the sake of the world. We do it in celebration of the cross. We do it in celebration of the resurrection. That Jesus Christ died, he is risen, and he's coming again. So in a couple of minutes, I want to invite you to come forward and partake of this practice. There will be people down here serving the elements, saying, Christ's body was broken for you. Christ's blood was shed for you. I wonder for us this morning when we come and partake and celebrate that Christ is risen, I wonder this morning what it would look like when we come if we ask God, would you open my eyes more? Would you allow me this morning to see more clearly as we partake of the broken bread and the cup? Because it was in the breaking of the bread. It was in table fellowship. It was in the experience of the risen Christ that their eyes were open. There was this couple in Genesis 3 who served themselves. Their eyes were opened. And they felt death and shame and despair and that all was lost. But there's a couple in Luke 24 whose eyes were opened, and they see a new day. They see hope. They see healing. They see life. They see the risen Christ. Would you come this morning and see with new eyes, hear with new ears, partake of the body and blood, of the bread and cup, and see that death does not have the last word. Resurrection does. God, thank you that you are a God of resurrection. That you are a God who opens eyes and helps us see that our vision of reality is often misinformed and misguided, and you give us a new vision of reality where we get to be a part of what Jesus is doing in remaking the world. God, make us a people of hope. Make us a people of healing. Make us a people of the resurrection. God, as we come and partake of this bread and this cup, open our eyes to see you, that you, Jesus, are indeed risen, and death does not win. Resurrection does. We give you thanks. In the name of Jesus, everyone said, amen. Amen. As you go, 
May your eyes be opened to see the risen Christ, for he is risen. Amen. Grace and peace be yours.